within our planet, and thus, our lives are how we know each other and our travels take us where we welcome each other, and thus the sun is a poorly habitable place, has not been traveled to welcome another on or near around, and so on with that. Sun, we love you, but not to visit. Peace plus love from slash San Francisco slash C3W. Can finite exist independent of nothingness? For anything to exist it must be comparable, and thus nothingness is just that and does not exist, and to answer your question of finite, is only as material witness to what I available to view as a continuity of the nonness, in other words the ending portion which is only observable to the extent where the observer has just and given up towards the transition of energies for which the infinite is the continuum in continuation. Peace plus ever and ongoing love from slash sentence slash Aqua QC3W edition not these to be found at aquaclabs.com smile. Why is it cooler in the deep underground than on the surface? Surface heat comes from the sun, but where does the cool temperature originate? The offset of our sun's ability to heat the surface and the same from the core of our planet, meeting at some crust high levels in between, is where the temperature is temperate for humans, beneath less or so, and so the cooling is in fact both the absent of light, not only carried on with our oceans as a fixture of temperature deep below the levels that humans survive. Well that's mostly it I think. The oceans cool our planet and keep the deep levels cool, and while under pressure, while water does not pressurize itself, the weight of water as a surrounding mass, keeps a steady cold hand on the plate tectonics and likely is siphoned into the planet to further provide a vein for cooling. Hum. Importance of environmental conservation? It's our very nature to naturally provide as life what materials are required for ourselves and our likened kind, as well as a set of instructions to say, roadmaps as to our successes which can be replicated when cleaned and followed, thus reciprocating for the all who participate. Our short story involves a caterpillar and as well its mate and also the organisms which provide the returning nutrients to the soil and very plant which our caterpillar sits and eats atop and discovers his place in his lifetime amongst the lifetimes of others in likened kind. The importance should be and is obvious in all aspects, and noted by our divide of physics, chemistry, and all the sciences. And this bit is just the bits to remind you to get your figure and figuring together and to and gathered with the dosh to provide for yourself and our environment to displace its paper tie in exchange for your misuse of plastic for the furthering exchange of ideas, and that is the book, A Wizard's Pocket, now unavailable on a slightly alien point of non-existence until you chose and purchase a one or many of, and ignorance is not in fact bliss and only bliss as created will be discovered, and so to further these and ideas, carry on with carrying this book, on your shelves and in, in fact your pocket and pocket books even, a book inside a book, so proceed in any eventfulness, this is AquaQ of AquaQlabs.com with San Francisco's Pisces of Peachy and Lovely Loverly C3W. idea anode diode light electrics flow to a corner of mutual closeness to an effect of joyous enlightenment, as a practice of happenstance, rapidly then dancing with the other lighted electrons in the rows and in singular yet combinatory fashioned creatures of liberty, 
levity in fact to carry their others and thus encourage the initial to carry them in onward and carry on with activities to further carry the joyousness of the idea, in any manner which is similar and liking to the electrons still at work, and in the body who nourished the brain stemmed heady to perform this feat of perhaps magic, only if you wish it to be but more likely you wish others to celebrate themselves in their concert of efforts to provide your body these feats and carry them onward with and around you for their times of activities and preferences as well and well. Dot. Our mathematician has a large chalkboard in his office. He has half-solved maths on board, and is happy to fill them in with squiggles of known precepts, and that provides the solution he requires in his time in which his electrons wish it, and yet to be solved needs those other precepts, which were likely his study of others, as he studies maths for the reasoning of studying, and so what else is there? He sits with his board to his front, perhaps chalk in hand, although likely he prefers a whiteboard, or perhaps he doesn't like the smell of the pens, or perhaps his office is filled with the smell and the colors. He may keep a notebook to carry with him to the coffee shop, with a brown hat. Mathematicians like brown hats and it's an old one, to indicate the term of maths in his mind and body, and perhaps because he can get to a shop which can adequately supply a new one to his liking, or perhaps he made a trip to a place for a souvenir, sought or delivered into his eyes, or he made a day of it in town with a specific shape in mind. This is how mathematicians think, and they do this because they work around an equals sign, and they fiddle around with both sides as they're unbalanced and to what degree they choose to work in a magical moment where nobody but their own brain can know what to write, and this is their excitement, and still they must hurry or keep it in their mind gates during that period to not waste strokes with the simpler cancellations, or perhaps they write them in any way, depending on if they believe they'll need two or three of a number to present a furthering of a symbol or subset equation. Dot. His name is Joe, or is it? It's like Ivan Liverjack. But the slate says Evan, Riva, or his lab neighbor calls out to him, E. His shirt is classy and worn, perhaps a papery silk and not stained but crinkly. His office is quiet and the coffee is nearby but not abused. He uses it for when company arrives, and he has tiny cups, because that distinguishes him. Dot. His students are long in a way, but they still come to visit him and they have their own lives in the various utilization of maths, for the pursuits of their own joys. And they like his little cups. Dot. One particular visitor is Joya, and she comes with her art that is at a local art museum, and she brings to him her sketchbook to review, in that he enjoys watching the origins of work and often uses such times to distract and still encourage his brain, as his pen is at his side, and the equation half written on the backboard. Dot. The sketchbook is fashion, and the lines are straight and belled towards the bottom, as in a dress, semi-starched looking with an open front, and stark lines and lapels at the top. And the boots are black and shiny vinyl, and the top is white with a pleated shoulder. She draws a few hats as well, in the hands of the model, and her selection of colors, as a palette to work from. Dot. E flips through the book which is an acid-free sketchbook which flips from the top, and is slightly larger than photographic paper, and it's mostly filled, and so he spends some time as she begins to organize his desk a bit as she talks about the pieces. Just a bit, to clear away a plate of food and put the salt and pepper back near the coffee. 
She sees him taking pause at a particular section of the book, and she hesitates and looks gently back to I what he's considering about it, in that brain which is designed to solve, and solve and is the design. Dot. It's swimwear. She pops around and looks. A yellow string bikini, which is squared off, and semi-triangular as well, and also pleated. Or so it would seem. That's how she holds it to her body. Evan was still considering kinesthetics and admired Joya's abilities to purvey an idea of her emotion to an emotion as emotive as, and her choices indicate the model, drawn, choice to show how just and what a piece it was, at those angles and with those charcoal palettes. Joy enjoyed that he put his maths aside and altered his consciousness to be round people, and just always seemed to enjoy everything which was in front of him, and so she thought the maths must be good, and they were because she kept coming back every so a times she had something exciting to show, and when the orientation of her timelines and the people of and around her were likened to provide for her time away for her time, and etc. The corollary is correlated for a reasoning, don't you find? was his comment in his usual math speak. I get stuck on that one sometimes, until I remember not to remember it, or perhaps I get flooded and then dry out and then that's when the spark occurs. Dot. The ideas as a continuation work for me as well. I mean the dress flows like the concept flows, and yes it starts with a flash, and how steady I can maintain my pencil while the image is still there, just to the side. And while not looking directly towards that screen on my brain, I can follow the lines and all the lines as a rough sketch and continue on to the point where it needs to split, and then carry on with it. To another page perhaps and I take a bit of enjoyment to switch the pencil and see also what is going on around me, and sip on my small cups too. And I work alone but with people always thinking around me. Dot. She was soaking up his brain. So that's why you visit me. Nice workings and it works top dot aesthetics are a unique maths that has been researched much in its artificial creation, and by creation, I mean just so he turned around, and pointed, often and around, dot, you see committing to an idea, brings us to the levels of complexity we're willing to put into our ability to see the next desired line or material, as per not only physics, but the purity of the amount of change we wish in its speed, dot, he pointed around some more. Dot. The edits are unnecessary, and as shown in an algorithm, or sets of them, really. He dipped down to the third row on his board. It doesn't matter to one or the other from its past or its origin, but at its direction spin and velocity towards its proposal, which is automatic and indicative as these processes meet in space-time. The dress, thus makes itself to the body and the mind conceptualizes the body towards a perfect dress, and so we have the tangent lines of material to skin, and how we wish to show or shield the body into what comfort that will provide the mind to see and bodies to enjoy. And making such a dress should be an art, as well, and left to that artist, or in our case, another algorithm trained in such matters, with the guidance of humans, or plants or animals if you die in their movements at their stages to provide for this dumb mathematician to write it down. Of course it won't work like that she stated smiling and plainly. Of course it won't, the interception of natural messaging in an algorithm produce a spark of nature, for an eternity at least is quite impossible, but the maths always worked. Lucky I got stuck into it because it would drive me mad to think my work was impossible he grinned, 
but that's the poor way to treat humanity, with a dusty paper which can never be implemented to a specification you desire. It's not specified, and as it turns out these are reticulating leaves and caterpillars on these bards today. See there's a little one there he gestured to the E on the sideline margin, drawn in just as he was talking, and he smiled at the board, smirked, and put the pen down. Then he looked up, and down at the board, stopped, and sat back down and reopened the notebook. Joya was impressed by the caterpillar marking. It almost looked like one. And that is the point. He glided back over to the board and put a dot in its upper right. Oh. She looked at her watch. It was an analog, by choice that it be electric and not wound, and that it was also picked up as an item of pleasure at a time, she grinned, when she needed to watch out for things, and the shop was open and it was near the front, and her eye fell on the first perfect form she found, and she tried to look at the others, but this one was perfect, and she had it wrapped in tissue paper, and a small box as if it were a gift, and she opened it towards the coffee stand in a wide open mall, and put it on as she sat and sipped. And then she played with it for a while, to make it comfortable, and stretched the straps a bit, and hoped they would weather in time, and that the weather would remain for a time and time again to make it from place to place. And to date, that has been the occurrence, over and over, like, and well clockwork. She thought more to herself as Evan occupied himself with her sketches. She noted the word. Formula, as in Dracula, and she wondered what a drac was, one who sucks, she supposed. But Eula, well you must have to say it like that ha 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 ha, she chuckled out loud, and Evan looked up and then back down. There was a commotion outside and she hastened her ideas to a present of presentry, which although she didn't mind sticking around, she'd had her cup and as her usual gift, filled in the bit of the board with her presents, she felt, and she... Hey would you like to keep that for a bit? It's done. I mean the stuff is at the show already, and it's near end season for my work done. No, I'll walk you out if that's where you're heading. He said as he closed the book from the top and stood up with it. I wanted to pick up a periodical at the news at stand. It doesn't matter which one yet, but that it be current and something I can keep for a bit. Oh good she took the booklet towards her as he offered, and they turned and she grabbed her purse and they went side through the office door and down to the front and out two steps in a curvy sidewalk for a bit and chattered about her show that evening and who she had got to wear her materials, and who was there from last year, and she showed off her socks, at one point during a brief in the walk, as she liked them and she was talking about them towards other artists she liked. They walked, and to the news at stand, where it began to rain a bit as junctions and changes in activity often, for Evan, lead to a change in the weather. And you don't want to get those socks wet. Would you like one? He motioned to the newsman and an umbrella, as she looked at him from the side and considered it. Nah, too much to carry, and it would have to be the perfect umbrella, and anyway I like the rain today, or so I think. The perfect umbrella doesn't exist here. I agree, he scowled smiled at the newstaker and got a gnaw down in a turn while Evan and Joya said their goodbyes for now. She backed him on the cheek. That's for the offer she smiled and bobbed away down the street, and he saw her hail a yellow taxi just as before the mainstay of rain was to drop, and she got in and tucked her dress into the door and drove off. The sky in evidence agreed with her watch on this one too, and he did look up just a bit, but not past the horizon 
and he eyeballed a bit to the left as he scratched that corner of his brain for his next activity, popping the periodical, a popular science magazine, and under his arm and on further, under some awnings and around and back a bit to his flat to rest, and then a light supper. Dot. Leaving our characters to their own now, is their choice in levity and brevity for them to offer me mine and yours as well, and as they carry on in their vectors and vectrosities. We carry ourselves forward in our duties to disseminate the punch-out punch-tape punch-out, knock-out gluey eons for you to glue your bluey bits towards up and about, and at a time, we hope this broadcast will liken you to do similarly, as evident Joya, although I'd like it if she were Abra, and maybe she is now. It's that kind of show tonight, hers with all the pieces on the table of piecery to jiggle and jaggle saw puzzle pie saw style to the gloom rotter frotter bay by the side and up and under about and etc. This is love proceeding by Aqua QC3W. Now we find Aria, one of the few of Blissed Atrist in her furthering avenues for our very lovable audience, you, and now here comes, the bistro. Friction dew drops by the mist connections on a bus which rides a ghost stop to. The ocean, bleached. Arya's shell gripped her ear canal as in a call from the salt. Minds of times blissed out summers when good times were having, a go. Feet in sand, from sandals, less for the wear of tiny ageless boulders worn down from the slush of wrecked waves on shored up lunatics. Arya began to think to herself, for herself, and to the future and, as she said. All the things. She was held up by grace, on these white sands. She sat with that one thought for quite a while. Hours perhaps. She walked from one edge of the rock to another, along a slight peninsula, leaving a zigzag of toe prints up and down the beach, avoiding the odd bits of glass or trash that was the reality of any shared space these days. With grace. This was all she required. While she wanted to whiz-bang through the towns and drop in on celebrities' parties. And be a star and get in the movies. Well. She still wanted these things, but she had them, in her mind. And with the mind she shared. What would she call it? Cosmolot I think, she thought to herself. The Cosmolot was a place she could create, muse, share, and have sharing bestowed upon. Her at a speed which was constant and comfortable, and not too dewy, as in decimal. Decimated, but flowy, with only some pause, to draw in the light, not too bright. Maybe at night, a quiet orange, or glowy aqua blue. She thought of aqua. Where did Q get to at these times of the day? Questions, she thought to herself, not pressing. It was pressing that the flow not drop, not be stampled, or that at least she could get back when she needed a passcode. She needed a passcode for her brain. A hashtag of jubilee, as desired, when required, when requited and for the Julius Caesar orange beverage, which is frothy and waits for only $2.99. Makes sense. Sip. Well. This was grand. As in buttermilk biscuits, she thought this was random but it surely wasn't. She found herself on Grand Street, at a breakfast joint her and Q used to frequent. It hadn't changed, besides new brightly colored chalk on the menu upright outside. 
with the specials. Q always had the biscuits because he said they reminded him of dad. Aria always chose something different and light, and this time, she saw just the thing. A slice of quiche and an espresso. A waiter in white came up to her as she sat down at the green iron table and chairs, gently pulling up the local paper to catch the bead of news and plan her day, with perhaps something to do in town. She sipped the espresso when it came, and heard a slight scuffle to her rear. She looked around. Funny. A slightly begotten Q was patting down the dirt from his bent leg, making the English F.U. signal to a passing car that had run through some dry dirt with a loud stereo. He hadn't noticed her yet, and she pulled up the paper and peered around it to see him. Coming at the coffee shop. Hosestly, he turned around, back to the shop, yes. You do need an eduation. In Manra. He scowled at the purple metallic boxy looking truck that was on its way aways. He turned back. Oh the bast is looking at the front page of the paper, and hi Arya. She ruffled the paper down and brightly glared at him, how did you know? I got you those sandals, remember? Oh yes. Well welcome to town, I just got here, would you like your usual? You're welcome to join me, I was just... Beached, yes. I followed you. I was thinking the same thing on the beach and thought I'd also get a spot of breakfast. What was it, Cosmolot? Why yes. Arya had to quite remember they went to the same telepath training class in Geneva, oh must have been. Twenty years ago today, Bastille. He said. Why yes, exactly that. And we promised to meet up at 20, from the time at the class, and we did a lab exercise to program this date, and date, into our subconscious, don't you remember? Of course, I don't, we programmed ourselves to forget about it, but you know I was ever the clever student and worked my way around it. Oh did you? And that's an orange in your purse. Wasn't it supposed to be a grapefruit? An orange is more practical, and besides, you were supposed to be carrying a lily. Yes it was given to me on that side street just now. It appears we're in the right place with the right people. Classy, Arya blunted. That means we're all here. Yes. Now let's just make that phone call we're supposed to make. After breakfast of course, I do believe biscuits between trinkets, is in the dictionary. Yes, and we need to change anyway. And change, he said. That won't still takes times. We can check the check and bounce. Over to Holly's place for the introductions, the gear has already been shipped, so. We shouldn't have any issues with imports. With a perky grin, with past coming to present, and her quiche arriving hot and steaming, she cheers Q with her fork, bottoms up. Absolutely and we'll narrate this next bit for you after a quick radio spot. Oh yes. The radio. Thank you Aqua. We almost forgot. Radio 11 is your brief stop betwixt treasures and leisures on your left and right dialed sandals here on Mutiny Radio and is brought to you from the labs of AquaQ. That is AquaQLabs.com and also connected via Atmospheric Intelligence in Spotify.
iTunes, and anywhere RSS is handed down from demons to software hard devices in your pocket. The podcast is free, as well as this hour of Radio 11, but do consider a donation to Mutiny in the form of a Venmo payment to at Mutiny Radio. And here is the final segment for today's episode, Logistics. An open letter to Amazon Logistics. To provide for a return to Earth mentality and reasonings for all to participate in our ecology of our being, the planet desires a means to return this greatest asset, Amazon.com for the benefit in every transaction. Take our package. It was selected, brought from and towards a locale, packaged and delivered, perhaps returned, but what's left? And what began and continues? Imagine our buyer never made the purchase, and was actually encouraged to do so, with many reasonings covering the website, to the filters of their broadest choosing, such as, is the seller carbon neutral and how, how do they account for their use of the environment, and in actuality. Which local processes are they active to recontribute to the ecosystem utilized for them to sell, that is what do they damage and how do they repair it? Once the many reasons not to buy something are selected, this begins the means for any and all to see what will work in an eco flowchart for their markets, with the markets to be groups as well for political filters from other potential markets. Providing data to sellers as well, can assist them in the many ways to be carbon negative, eco positive, by providing a rich integrated dataset and access to materials which perhaps are the result of think tank researchers, who also actively participate with the feedback of a logistics network. The Amazon as we know it, would then be broken into portions, including a utility portion, as well as arms of education and other nonprofits, and philanthropic arms to further the mission statement as to follow an end to end eco benefit towards the planet, the community's well-beings in this regard and in fact all manufacturing, transport, consumption and reproduction. Yes that's right, we will now consider Amazon entities as able to reproduce, as in the mechanisms to produce systems which have a positive impact on and about the planet and the people and materials and anything natural for the locality and lifetime of its repeatable processes, as adaptable. This literally means that two arms of two people, who move something to the benefit of said process, are considered within this entity and therefore part of child whose lifetime is to ensure the joyous participation of the participants, and more. Eddy stuff, and without getting into wearables on that one, I'll proceed to finalize a statement. Dot. Amazon's size and breadth and obvious profitability has ensured from the start that belief creates possibility and further evident truth, and vice versa, truth exists to be believed, and that is our cycle wherein belief and truth are matched in a benefit of relationship. Amazon's name was chosen for the essential neutrality of the rainforests, whose diverse quirky creatures are so bizarre that they account for the restoration of our entire planet, and oftentimes and in a so large leafy environment, that its concentration of planetary cooperation in a matched, as in the heady rains and continuation in earnest and wildly non-idle entities. Its continuation toward the continuity of kinship with this planetary marvel is to be carried, by carrying others in pursuits of the willingness of our very beings to continue a superb non-superfluous existence of creation, sharing, discovery, and all variable dreams and cognitive abilities without bound. 
for the times allotted to its sequel return within a loop for the equations of nature to work in the next moments, and forward in days, and timelines as discovered through these actions, and that the images of ourselves is very much what we truly aspire, when we make any purchase, or indeed produce from earthly materials, and so put these accounts in place, we can and must utilize our bioavailability for the continued belief and delivery to be, so. The above has not been edited, as noted in streams of consciousness from the in and about isle off the west coast of imagery and softened lines of reasoning for the seasoning of a continuation of seasons, and, we know all of this, and perhaps the weatherman will glean a little more insight as to why things happen, and be able to unbuy the rain, as to say, place it as needed. Peace plus love Aqua Q. And so Aqua Q finds you now at closure from episode 1, a one-off Radio 11 broadcasting better as the leisurely stories of Q and Aria, here at mutinyradio.fm. And do find Miranda to embedded in next week episodes again next Monday at 5pm and as well the continuity continues in forward behaviorness and backwards compatible maturity at aquaqlabs.com. This is Radio 11.
Wicked world Searching for
Welcome to Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, May 22nd, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in. Starting off the show with some music, as we usually do here. First song, Staples. Uh, called, the song's called All In It Together. And after that, uh, Honey with their cover of What's So Funny About Love and Understanding. And, yeah, we're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're here in the Mission District in San Francisco. We're on Ramatush Ohlone land. And to learn more about the land and the folks who have been on this land since before it was colonized, please go to ramatush.com, and that's R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H.com. And I also want to encourage folks to pay the Shumi land tax. And if you type in S-H-U-M-I land tax, you will be brought to a page where you can donate and also pay your taxes especially for folks in the East Bay. We'll be going over some news stories today, playing some music in between. Did an interview, I believe, two days ago. It's hard to keep track of time, and I pre-recorded it, 
and I didn't have a chance to really edit it, and that's okay. So I'll be playing the, the rough cut of it, and speak with Faye from the SRA. So looking forward to sharing that with you all, and big thanks to Faye for sharing some information with us. And I'm also going to be speaking about some news stories, and often on the show it can get depressing because it is the news. <laughs> and also, I definitely want to highlight some positive things that are happening and a lot of collective actions that are happening, and I feel like it's really inspiring and it's important to recognize the victories, no matter how small they may feel, just to a reminder that there are so many folks doing a lot of really incredible organizing out there. So I want to give attention to that. Oftentimes I start with a rant. I don't know what to rant about today. I mean, I do know, and also, oh, I did have a, I, I try not to talk about my personal life too much on here. I did have a dream last night that, um, so I've got, I think we all have people in our lives where we are friends at one point, and then for whatever reason, we either drifted apart, or there was fighting, or for whatever reason, we're just maybe not as close. And I had a dream about one of these friends, who I'm still kind of connected, like we're connected on social media, but we don't really, we haven't talked in years. And in my dream, uh, this person was like, I saw them, and I was like, oh, hey. And this person was like, oh, I, I was in love with you for a long time, and that's why I was so, like, unkind to you. And suddenly that just kind of washed over all of the anger I had and frustration and sadness I had towards them about having this friendship kind of, I don't necessarily crumble, more just, like, kind of faded away. It wasn't anything, from my perspective, that felt too... Dramatic, maybe parts of it were dramatic. I don't know, but it was really this nice bonding moment in my that my subconscious wanted me to experience. And I recognize that that there's a theory that everything in your dream represents a part of you, and every person in your dream represents a part of you. So perhaps there was this uh, piece of myself that was <sighs> not sure how to show love for myself. And I, I do, this is, I mean, I talk a lot on the show about how obviously we should have housing for all and healthcare for all. It's not, to me, it doesn't seem that complicated, yet a lot of folks want to push back against that. And part of it comes from my own experience of just being in between housing for years of my life and how difficult that was and how that affected my behavior in so many levels. Not that I'm not you know, accountable and uh, responsible for my behavior. It's not an excuse for it. It's just an understanding that when I wasn't sure sometimes where I was going to spend the night and or staying with friends and or sleeping on couches and or just being around, you know, being in situations that I ordinarily would not be in if I'd had stable housing. Uh, it, I was not, I just, when I didn't have as many choices, uh, it did not really affect my interpersonal skills that well. It had a negative effect. And uh, my substance use went up and I think that really affected some of my friendships and relationships in my life. And it's so crucial just to understand how important it is that folks have their own housing. And I mean, it affects every single aspect of one's life. Privacy, self-confidence, the ability to get a job and to keep a job, um, safety, health, being removed from the elements, not having to deal with police harassment as much. Um, there's so many things that just like having the basic needs, the fact that we are so far removed from that and um, the grand scheme of things here in, the, in this country is just, it's 
so difficult to witness day in and day out, especially, and I, I recognize this is happening um, in many places around the country and many places around the world, so it's not just something that's happening in the Bay Area. However, it's so pronounced here with the wealth disparities that there are actual billionaires who live in this city, and the fact that we're not <laughs> honestly hunting them down right now and asking them, I mean, I'm all for, I won't stop anyone from making a guillotine, let me say that right now. People, there are vacant units here. It's like, it's so, the problems are so fixable. It's just the people who are in positions of power to fix it and have the ability to fix it and have the wealth to fix it choose not to. And that's just, it's, and then I think about my own actions and, you know, I can point my finger all I want to, but it's also up to me to help support folks who are organizing and, and to, to act as well. And I recognize that. And it's just so fucking difficult when there are, when we could easily have a world where people are safe and taken care of. And it's not like it's, there are steps that we could take. I recognize it's, I mean, similar with prison abolition, like I'm all for that as the end game. And I recognize it's not just like you snap your fingers and it's done and all problems are solved. We do need to move into a world where we have compassion for one another and we look to heal and rehabilitate instead of punish people. And it seems as the folks, and obviously every case is different, and the folks who actually, who I think do need some uh, <coughs> punishment are people the, in the highest offices of the land. Yet it's uh, folks who are simply trying to live their lives who are the ones who are on the receiving end of police violence, state violence, poverty. And it's difficult to hold these, you know, these, these truths of how the world is and be a part of the world. Like, I definitely want to, I, I definitely have some social anxiety to a degree, and Things feel a little bit different now that there is shelter in place, and I try to go out for walks and exercise and to explore. I don't know if I use the word explore is not the right word to use because so many people have been here before, but to when I have the energy, just walk and find other parts of the city I haven't been to before, I haven't spent as much time in, and just how beautiful it is here. And at the same time, it feels frightening to go out. Not a lot of folks are wearing masks. And the whole idea with wearing masks is that you're protecting other people. It's not so much you're protecting yourself, but it's a courtesy to other people. Folks can have be asymptomatic. I could be. I could have it. And if I at least if I wear a mask in public, that's one less, or I should say one more barrier uh, from that prevents me from transmitting it to someone. So that's the least thing I can do. And yeah, of course it's not uh, the most comfortable thing, but uh, a lot of things in this world aren't very comfortable. And I feel like it's a very the bare minimum. Um, yeah, just encouraging folks to wear masks and social distance. And not a lot of folks. I feel like in the last week or so, I've seen more, like fewer and fewer. I've seen more and more people go out. More cars, unfortunately, gross, and uh, just more people without masks on. For a while, there was like definitely an uptick in people wearing masks, which was great and appreciated. And then suddenly it kind of stopped, especially for like the joggers. It's like especially when you're jogging, you just exert more sweat and you're breathing heavier. And uh, there are some though who wear masks, so I appreciate it. And it's really just this kind of 
we're just seeing how people respond under these difficult situations. And obviously not everyone's perfect and obviously we all make mistakes. And I just want to encourage folks to try to think of other people. It's not that, well maybe it's hard for some people, I don't know. Anyway, that's, I guess that's where my rant is. There we go, that's not so bad. All uh, right, I mean, despite the fact that the wealth inequality is killing people. Um, you know, but that's kind of the world that we're living in. So I do want to get to some new shows. I am new shows. What am I talking about? Um, also, ooh, there's a cover of Wilco, Nick Lowe, and Mavis Staples that I didn't wait, but I think I want to listen to. So perhaps I'll put that on right now, and then I will put up, I'll pull up a story to read, and I'll also sit down, because I haven't sat down yet. Although I did hear for audio recording, it's better to be standing up. Maybe I'll stand up. We'll see how this goes. All right. So this is Wilco, Nick, Nick Lowe, and Mavis Staples rehearsing The Wait. You can find it on YouTube. It was shared by Wilco. And this came out in 2012. Ah, those were, I'm not going to say simpler times. They were different times. <laughs> putting up the volume here. Oh, I have the tab muted. This happens sometimes. Here we go.
in December 2011 and Wilco YouTube page. Alright, I mentioned a news story. Still standing up. We'll see how this goes. I'm getting a little bit ready to sit down, but we'll see. This is from Brooksyside. Oakland students may get to vote for school board members. Yes, good thing. Uh, this is written by Ashley McBride and it came out on May 20th. A November ballot measure to allow 16 and 17 year olds to vote in school district elections make Oakland the fifth U.S. city to lower its voting age. The Oakland City Council voted unanimously on Tuesday to place a measure on the ball called ballot extending. I'm going to sit down. <laughs> I uh, tried to stand up for a while and, you know, 20 minutes, not so bad. All right, I'm going to sit down. Okay. Alright, the Oakland City Council voted unanimously on Tuesday to place a measure on the fall ballot extending the voting franchise to students. The council's decision was the culmination of a months-long campaign by student leaders to enable young people to have greater influence over the Oakland Unified School District elections. If approved by voters in November, Oakland would join a handful of other cities across the country, including Berkeley, that allow teens to help pick school district leaders. Students said the campaign was driven by their desire to hold school board leaders accountable for decisions affecting their education. We saw the teachers strike as kind of an, like an eye-opener to see how our issues weren't met, our needs weren't met, said Malia Lau, a junior at Oakland Technical High School. We decided to push this forward so that our school board is responsive to the needs of students. Lau said that during the, stri the strike last spring, students stood with their teachers on picket lines and pleaded with district officials to keep schools open and preserve important programs amidst budget cuts. Now students hope to make their voices heard at the ballot box. The idea of expanding the franchise to 16 and 17 year olds first arose at a student retreat last September for, U excuse me, for OUSD's All City Council, a student union that convenes leaders from across school districts. At the time, students were fresh off a win in securing millions for the reinstated free supper program offered by the school district. But student leaders were still frustrated that their only recourse for instigating change was appealing to elected officials at board meetings. Students were tired of just speaking to the OUSD board members during public comment periods and not really feeling heard, said Lucas Brecky um, Musner the executive director of Oakland Kids First, an organization that helps students organize and advocate for themselves. Students wanted a more direct way to influence policy. OUSD students were also impressed by the work with the work of Tyler Okeke, a student in the Los Angeles Unified School District who was making waves by advocating for student enfranchisement. Okeke authored a proposal directing the LAUSD superintendent to explore the implications of lowering the voting age to 16. At the end of the retreat, students wanted to explore youth voting on school board elections, said Emerson Ariba, a 
senior at Oakland High School who currently serves as one of the two student directors on the school board, a symbolic position that does not have voting power. Over the past several months, OUSD students hold voter education workshops, registered teen voters, and met with Oakland City Council members to draw up the resolution. It was sponsored by City Council President Rebecca Kaplan and received support from several school board members, the Oakland Education Association, and Mayor Lee Beck. However, while the resolution received broad support, some have expressed concerns that teenagers aren't knowledgeable enough to vote uh, or that they could be easily misled by deceptive campaigns. OUS, as a, I'm going to just interrupt here, as opposed to fucking adults <laughs> who, like, uh, <coughs> I mean, come on. Okay. OUSD District 6 Supervisor uh, Shanti Gonzalez felt that with more time, the proposal could have been refined. The main thing is that there's no plan and no resources devoted to educating student voters to make sure they can be informed voters when this legislation is enacted, Gonzalez said. Even adults have difficulty figuring out the nuances of board elections, campaigns, and the organizations that fund them, and allowing teens to vote without a plan or resources to educate them could be irresponsible, Gonzalez said. The students who successfully campaigned for the city council to place the measure on the ballot said that they are mature enough for civic engagement and have a track record of making positive changes. I have experienced not having a teacher present and not having extra support after school or in class, Oakland Technical High School student Dermesha Hall told the Oakland City Council during yesterday's meeting. There are some things that I feel all students should have easy access to. I don't want future students to feel like they are powerless in that way. If we are able to balance our schoolwork, providing for our families, drive and work, added Hall, we should have the rights to vote for things that we feel are unjust our school system. Berkeley's student voting resolution passed with 70% of the vote in 2016, but has yet to be implemented. That measure included a stipulation that no city funds be used to enact it, leaving Berkeley Unified School District with the bill. Berkeley officials are also debating other issues, including whether to print separate ballots for teens so they don't vote in other races, determining whether they can vote by mail. San Francisco supervisors are also considering an even broader proposal to lowering the voting age to 16 for all local elections. If Oakland voters approve this measure, students hope that they'll be
All right, and welcome back. Now it sounds better. I think the mic was a little bit out before. So that was Alex Leahy with Wes Anderson. It's a cute video if you want to check it out. And next up, another article. And the last one I read, just to be sure folks get a chance to uh, read it, see for some reason the mic went out before, was from Berkeley side, and uh, it's been student taken on able to vote for the school board. Next up, positive story here. And tenants buy properties from neg neg negligent landlord who tried to evict them. This is from Mini Minnesota, from the minnesotareformer.com, written by Max Esterak. came out on May 19th. 38 families in South Minneapolis will gain ownership of their five apartment buildings after spending years battling their landlord, Stephen Friends. What an unusual last name, Friends, uh, who had been trying to evict them. This is an amazing victory. I'm so happy, Chloe Jackson said in a statement Tuesday. She is a resident of one of the properties and board president of the tenants' rights group uh, in uh, United Renters for Justice. Sorry, I'm making this hard to pronounce this in clinics. I need it for Houston. In 2017, Franz was banned from holding rental licenses in Minneapolis for five years because of chronic neglect, fraud, and pest infestation. He then owned more than 60 apartment buildings in Minneapolis and faced one of the largest class action lawsuits against a private landlord. Wow. He settled for a record settling setting. $18.5 million and served time in the Hennepin County Workhouse for perjury related to the case, but he maintained ownership of the properties, which were managed by a court-appointed administrator. While 38 families in five buildings sought to form a cooperative and buy their buildings from him, friends had been trying to evict them for the past year, saying he needed to vacate the properties to sell them. Eviction seemed certain once the pandemic hit. The families, most of whom are immigrants and don't have health care or access to government benefits, had collectively gone on rent streaks. They had decided to pull their money to help each other buy groceries or pay medical bills should someone become sick with COVID-19. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry praised the sale, which will be funded in part with an interest-free loan from the city. This collaborative effort reflects local government done right, Fry said in a statement. Work like this makes clear the value of persistence in fighting for our residents and strategically dedicating resources to increase housing stability, even in times of crisis. The land bank Twin Cities bought the five properties, bought, excuse me, bought the five properties in the Cork Grand neighborhood for $7.1 million with a loan from the city and the local initiative support corporation, Twin Cities. The two entities will also provide financing to make necessary repairs to the properties. Over the next two years, the land bank Twin Cities will transfer ownership of the properties to the residents who have, been na who have named the buildings the Sky Without Limits Community. They plan to own the buildings as a cooperative and allow more families to move in. Just 34 of the 69 units are complete are currently occupied. I am euphoric, said resident Vanessa Del Cacon in a statement Monday. This is the result of lots of arduous hard work, and I believe this victory will be felt throughout the whole city. Yeah, and you can find that article on michiganreformer.com, written by Max Esterak, and it came out on May 19th. Next up, I'm going to go to, from a tweet um, from Duran A. Hamdani. Duran writes, uh, already, 
up my words a little bit here. I'm going to slow down. I did have a lot of strong coffee this morning. I think that's part of it. Roslyn Morrison is a leader in the effort to get vulnerable detainees out of Rikers Island crisis. She says that while DAs in the Bronx and Brooklyn have been more understanding, Melinda Katz has fought to keep people locked up. We can't look away from what's happening. There, the audio Posted by Karen Bani on Twitter at L-H-E-R-A-N-K-A-N-A-M-B-A-N-I. And Lauren is a candidate for New York's 36th AD for the Astoria, Portland, Fenway, Astoria Heights neighborhoods that we used to live in. So thanks for sharing that, Lauren. And yeah, okay. Next up, I'm going to do one more article. I'm going to play the interview that I did with Faye at around 1 o'clock, so please do stay tuned for that. I'm going to do another article here that has a bit to also do with landlords. And then I'll probably play some music. This is from blogto.com. Toronto renters are now staging protests outside the mansions of their landlords. This is in the real estate section. This is written by Lauren O'Neill, and it was posted two days ago. <laughs> Apartment tenants who have been threatened with eviction for not having enough money to pay rent amid a global pandemic continue to organize in Toronto and beyond as part of the hashtag #KeepYourRent movement. And their most recent IRL action hit landlords closer to home than ever. Parkdale organized the legal advocacy organization spearheading these local rent strike campaigns described how GTA tenants descended upon the homes of their corporate landlords last week to collectively voice their demands for no evictions and for rent forgiveness for all tenants unable to pay during the COVID-19 crisis. Tenants from buildings in Scarborough, Missagua, and Parkdale are said to have visited the sprawling mansions of CEOs from major real estate enterprises such as Pinedale Properties and Starlight Investments on Wednesday during a virtual annual general meeting of the Federation of Rental Housing Providers of Ontario. And for short, it's F. 
RPA. And then they're um, a tweet from Keep Your Rent Toronto. You can follow them at Keep Your Rent. Uh, photos as well on Twitter. Our first stop was the home of Pinedale Property CEO George Grossman. Grossman's company owns the buildings at 7, 9, and 11 Crescent Place, where company reps have visited tenants' units demanding the on-the-spot, demanding on-the-spot rent payments with a handheld ATM. Fucking gross. Uh, read the blog post on the Parkdale organized website. A company rep told one bereaved tenant whose relative had died from COVID-related COVID illness that COVID is nothing and that the economy needs to keep going. Fuck you. Parkdale organized said that Grossman opted to cower inside his mansion while they were on his front lawn, but that they were they were able to deliver a letter to a domestic worker employed at his residence. They provided another tweet as well from Keep Your Rent Toronto. Next, we descended on the home of Starlight Investment CEO Daniel Drummer. Read the post. In 2019, Starlight added to its real estate empire, buying GTA apartment buildings valued at at a total of $3.75 billion. Despite its growing financial power, in the past two months, Starlight repeatedly sent notices to tenants demanding rent payments and threatening to issue legal eviction notices. Protesters say they saw Drimmer pacing on his back patio while speaking on the phone. Parkdale organized says that Drimmer called Toronto Police Services and reported a group for hate speech. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, a reminder, being a landlord, just like being a cop, is a job choice. It's not an identity. While protesters did not make contact with either of the landlords, they are encouraging apartment rent tenants to learn more about who owns their buildings. They also continue to urge others to keep their money in solidarity when the next rent payment deadline rolls around. Today, tenants made it clear that we will continue to organize with our neighbors, wrote Parkdale Organized of the mansion protest. Unless landlords' threats of eviction and demands for rent repayments are withdrawn and rent forgiven for tenants unable to pay during the crisis, we are prepared to escalate our action by bringing greater numbers of our neighbors to confront even more landlords where they live and do business. Fucking awesome. Yay. Good for y'all. That's awesome. Again, you can follow uh, the folks here on Twitter at, at KeepYourRent. Okay. So I'm going to play some music, and I'm actually going to, first of all, I, I was able to, perhaps if you listened to the show before, you can tell that sometimes it's a little bit more scatterbrained. And you, some, it's a very DIY show. Sometimes I plan, sometimes I don't plan, sometimes I don't plan enough, etc. I was able to go through the stories I wanted to share, and I have a pretty solid list going on, and I also have a means to check off the ones that I have shared already. So I feel rather organized today, although I do feel like that Mike may have been off for part of that first story. My apologies. I wanted to share also um, upcoming events that folks can participate in, because I do feel like it's uh, helpful just to have events, uh, a lot of virtual events that are happening that folks can participate in and be in community. So I did want to share that. and. Roll down, hopefully. Well, first of up, it's more it's like a, a website that folks can check out, and this is covidgriefnetwork.org. I'm gonna click on it now and read a description. So this is not so much an event; uh, it's a resource for folks. Again, COVID network, covidgriefnetwork.org. Undoing isolation for young adults grieving the illness or death of someone close 
due to COVID-19 are offering. Are you in your 20s or 30s? Have you lost someone close to, co to COVID-19? Or is someone you love ill with COVID-19? Get connected to a community of young adults who know what it's like and, and free one-on-one -on -one support from a volunteer grief worker. Can you offer support? Are you a therapist, chaplain, spiritual director, grief counselor, facilitator, life coach, mindfulness practitioner, or healer? Do you know how to show up for people in grief? Are you willing to donate your support in this crisis? And I have a link to that as well. So again, um, please do check this out. You can go to covidgriefnetwork.org. I also wanted to share, want to share present tense, the live document I've been sharing now for a few months. That it's a document that's for folks around the world and it's a mutual aid document and you can find it by going to bit.ly forward slash COVID-19 collective care. And there's pages upon pages of resources. Some of it's based on location, some of it's based on um, groups that folks may be affiliated with. There's a whole, I can't even fully explain all of the, all of the information that's there, but it's a really awesome resource. So I do wanna share that with folks. Again, bit.ly forward slash COVID-19 collective care. Okay, next up, next up. All right, where, okay, get to that one later, that one later. Okay, this is a, an upcoming event, so we'll share that. And this is happening on May 25th, Monday, May 25th. This is from Code Pink. Celebrate International Women's Day for Peace and Disarmament. Disarmament. Join or organize a peace caravan. Hashtag healthcare not warfare. That's, um... I think that's my that's similar to my Twitter handle, which is awesome, and um, which I've heard many times before in many places, or at least, anyway, I'll continue. Hashtag war is not green. Join or organize a peace caravan for Memorial Day Monday, May 25th. Historically, Memorial Day has been used to mourn the dead, but in a way that almost idealizes war. This Memorial Day, join us to organize caravans for peace and disarmament, so there will be no more war dead and who need to be who need to be remembered oh i, I want to reread that historically memorial day has been used to mourn the dead but in a way that almost idealizes war this memorial day join us to organize caravans for peace and disarmament so there will be no more war dead who need to be remembered this memorial day coincides with the u.n secretary general's call for a global ceasefire saying the fury of the virus illustrates the folly of war it also follows the May 24th International Women's Day for Peace and Disarmament, a day to raise up the cost of weapons and war to the planet. Uh, please consider organizing a caravan in your community. <laughs> I'm going all over the place here with my voice. It's easy. It can be as small as two to three cars. It's safe. You stay in your car. It's fun. People really want to come out in a safe way and do action stuff. It's media friendly. The press is looking for actions to cover. It's important. We need to be visible in demanding that our country focus on fighting this virus and the climate crisis, not each other. Each community will shape their caravan as they want. So they have a list of events that are already planned. United States, in DC, the meetup location is at the fuck, excuse me, the White House. I, I, for some reason, I just happened to use the F word wrong. Um, the meetup location is at the White House on the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue and 7th Street. Some people will be walking, some will be driving. Our route 
will be going towards and ending at the Cuban embassy as Cuba is a perfect example of hashtag healthcare not warfare, May 25th at noon Eastern Standard Time. In Arizona, in Phoenix, we will meet at 2020, excuse me, don't, don't do that, not 2020, that's not true. In Arizona, in Phoenix, we will meet at 2201 <laughs> East Camelback Road, number 115, May 25th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. In California, in Los Angeles, we are meeting with Jewish Voices for Peace at the Santa Monica Airport parking lot to spell peace with our cars. We will photograph this with a drone. Then divide into three groups to caravan with our messages of peace and deliver care packages for the growing houseless populations in L.A. May 25th, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. In North San Diego, we will meet at 1022 Highland Drive, May 25th, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. In SLO, San Luis Obispo, Morro Bay, we will meet at Foster's Freeze, May 25th at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Here in San Francisco, the caravan will end at Senator Dianne Feinstein's SF resident map of route to be distributed at Meetup Place, May 25th at noon. Uh, in San Jose, we will be meeting at Stevens Creek and Winchester Boulevards, May 25th, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. In Florida, there's a lot of these I'm noticing. Uh, in Miami, we will caravan to Senator Marco Rubio's home since he has been pushing war on Venezuela and crippling sanctions on Cuba. Also, I want to call attention to not using the word crippling as kind of uh, verb. Okay, that's May 25th, 11 a.m. Eastern, Eastern Time. Iowa City, Iowa, Iowa City. The plan is to drive in a circle through the town beginning at Mercer Park, head downtown, and then back to Mercer Park, May 25th, 11 a.m. Central Time. Kansas, in Salina, the meetup location will be at the Sidewalk Museum of Congress. I'm so curious as to what a sidewalk museum is. May 24th, 4 p.m. Central Time. Maryland, in Baltimore, there will be two routes for drivers and pedestrians, May 25th, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Michigan and Grand Haven, we will provide route maps at the meetup location. And I'm guessing if you get in touch with the individual groups, they will have um, the meetup location there. And if you go to codepink.org, they have everything listed. So if you click on the link to the specific location, they'll provide more information. Missouri and Kansas City, the route will include going through Midtown and through some weapons parts plant. Ooh, yeah, fuck those weapons parts. That's May 25th, 10 a.m. Also the one for in Mich Grand Haven, Michigan's 11.45 a.m. Eastern Time. One in Kansas City. That's right. May 25th, 10 a.m. Central Time. New Mexico in Taos. We will meet up at Smith's parking lot before driving to the plaza in downtown, 11.45 Mountain Time. In New York, New York City, we'll meet at John Lennon Memorial Park, Imagine Circle in Strawberry Fields at noon. Eastern Time in Ohio in Columbus, the action is in support of detainees in Morrow County Jail, immigrants who 100% have COVID infections, and that's at 2 p.m. Eastern Time in Oregon in Portland. The location will be at Peninsula Park May 25th at noon Pacific Time in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. Time and location to be announced. Please contact David Gibson, and there's information contact information in the event page if you're interested. And in Texas in Dallas. Location TBA, 11 a.m. Central Time. You also, if you want to create your own event, you can add your event and you can click on the page and add the event there. Take our pledge here and join social media team. You can also do that. 
We also have posters and resources. I want to point them out. Nice. War is not green. Global peace now. I heart healthcare workers. Healthcare not warfare. Awesome. I want to print these out. All right, cool. So, oh my gosh, it's almost one. Let me uh, put on a song, and then I'll get up the, uh, the interview around 1 p.m. Thanks so much for tuning in. Listen to Mutiny Radio. I'm talking a lot. I'm going to definitely run. All right, so here's the song I heard on The Current recently, and this is from Sampa the Great, Final Form. And, of course, it's uh, not of course necessarily. Sometimes with YouTube, they start playing the ad, so I'm going to wait for the ad to play, and then uh, play the music. Uh, <laughs> incorrect. That's the song I already played. Let me uh, uh, click on There we go. Here we go. This is Sampa the Great.
Dallas Hump of the Great Lakes Forum. Next up, I'm going to share the interview that I did with uh, Faye from the SRA recently, and I'm going to apologize in advance. And I didn't have a, not that I didn't, I just did not edit it, so my apologies. I have the ability and did not put in the time to do so. The very DIY show, and putting that out there, and also I wasn't quite as, I would have liked to have been more prepared uh, with the questions, and it was one of those days I was not feeling uh, perhaps at my best. I'm uh, just wanting to, to share that there and be okay with that. So the interview got cut off at a certain part, and so we ended up redoing it a little bit. So I'm going to, I'll share both of them because I feel like there's information in both that I can relate to very well. And, and uh, yeah, first one's about five minutes, and the second one's about five minutes. Here we go. This is Talking with Faye. And there I am, probably being like, I'm not that great at tech. And blah, 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 blah. There we go. Hi, it's nice to meet you. My name is Faye. I'm the co-founder of the Socialist Rifle Association, and my pronouns are she and her. Thanks. Um, I use uh, he, him pronouns. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I've heard like a little bit about the SRA, and I definitely follow a lot on Twitter. And I've met some folks affiliated with it at the, sorry, that was a cat, um, at the uh, Howard Zinn Book Fair that happened in San Francisco a few months ago. It's hard to keep track of time. And I really um, appreciate the folks who have organized it. And I'm also curious to learn more. Definitely. Uh, yeah, um, big shout out to our uh, Bay Area uh, SRA chapter. We've got a lot of really great folks out there. Um, and they're doing some really great mutual aid work. I, um, so let me, let me start off by talking about how the SRA is. So um, the Socialist Rifle Association is an educational and advocacy organization uh, dedicated to providing people um, who are on the left or who are members of marginalized uh, communities or minorities, educating them about firearms, uh, firearm safety, uh, use and handling, uh, and generally how, you know, attempting to build a sort of left-wing gun culture uh, in opposition to the more, you know, machismo sort of right-wing gun culture that's out there. Um, we also uh, do a lot of uh, mutual aid and disaster relief work. Uh, you know, our sort of philosophy is based on community defense. We've taken some cues from the Black Panthers, although we're not exactly uh, that type of organization, but uh, we definitely have a view of community defense that extends beyond, you know, carrying guns around, but uh, is much more focused on things like providing people's needs, uh, doing community gardens, providing, you know, uh, aid to the homeless um, and to, you know, other groups standing in solid solidarity with marginalized groups. So, yeah, we, we're doing a lot of work along those lines right now, especially um, with COVID-19. Yeah, and I appreciate that you did bring up the Black Panthers because I think about how they started the, the breakfast program and, and fed their communities. And oftentimes through, I guess, propaganda and a lot of misinformation, they were thought to be just this, you know, people 
saw them as like a violent organization. However, they were protecting their communities and feeding each other. And such an important part of community defense is helping one another out. And it's not just about, um, I guess, militarism. Absolutely. And that has its place. I certainly think that in the case of the Black Panthers, they definitely uh, took the right, you know, took the right road with their cop watching and the demonstrations that they did. But you really have to, you know, one thing that I sort of uh, try to discourage um, through my work with the SRA is discouraging people from, uh, you know, going around and being militaristic just because they want to, you know, just because they want to role play or, you know, project that aesthetic. Like if you're going to do that sort of thing, it needs to be a strategic choice that is very well thought out and you need to do it correctly. Um, otherwise, a lot of the time, uh, armed demonstrations are not the correct choice and it's much more beneficial to the community to do disaster relief or, you know, to directly help people who need it. Like the breakfast uh, program or like the disaster relief work the SRA is doing. Like I mentioned before, our Bay Area chapter, um, last year they had purchased a stockpile of N95 masks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which were going to be, um, because fire season in 2018 was so bad and there was so much smoke, they wanted to distribute those uh, to unhoused people who were going to be exposed to that smoke all the time. Um, well, it turns out that... Uh, <laughs> In our in our current times, uh, it's much more useful. Um, that chapter has gone and distributed uh, respirator masks to social workers and unhoused people uh, who are out in public. And I believe that they're working on uh, making their own hand sanitizer, which is something our LA chapter started doing. So there's a lot of good, good work coming out of there. And again, big shout out to the uh, Bay Area chapter of the SRA. Yeah. So how can folks um, take... How can folks, I guess, be, like reach out um, to help out or to donate with the organization? Uh, for sure. So um, to join the SRA, um, you can go to our website at socialistra.org. Membership is $25 per year. Uh, we also have a dues waiver application process, although uh, right now it's a little bit janky because we're transitioning uh, some of our backend software. It's not working great. Uh, and it might take. All right, cut off a little bit. Oh. Hold on. Hello. Okay. Start my thought because I know where it cut off. Oh, sure. um, so, on the other hand, if you don't want to join the SRA, if you just want to uh, work together with one of our chapters, you can feel free to reach out to them on social media. Most of our chapters. Uh, have a Facebook or a Twitter account. Um, you can reach out to them there, and uh, hopefully, especially if you're another local organization, uh, start working together. I, yes, sir. I definitely encourage uh, SRA chapters to work in coalition with other leftist and progressive groups. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I was hoping I have a question for those of us. I wasn't really brought up with firearms at all and was like the most I knew about them I kind of saw in movies and TV which is yeah that's kind of <laughs> like and I was just curious as to for those of us who have maybe like only have like a very limited um information about it or would like to start to learn more do you have any tips for how folks can um I guess like learn more or certain pieces that folks should start out with 
and I guess it, I'm sure like it's a whole wide range of um, it's a it's a whole big topic. But I'm just curious as to folks who might be unsure of where to start exactly. What would be some good steps that folks could take? For sure. So uh, the SRA has a guide on our website. Um, if you go under our education tab, um, we have a booklet called Rifles for Rookies, oh. a firearm manual for the completely new. Um, if you want just a basic crash course in what, what, what are guns and what do they do, that's a great place to start. Um, if you're thinking about uh, buying a gun or, you know, uh, you know, if, or if you want to buy a gun, you can reach out, um, you can ask uh, an SRA member or you, you can reach out on social media. Um, most chapters should be pretty willing, you know, to answer basic uh, firearms questions. Um, if you're interested, if you do want to buy a gun, if you have no experience, um, if you're totally new, then uh, generally, I would recommend that people start out with a 22 caliber rifle or a 22 caliber pistol, um, which are guns that are um, legal in most states, especially in California. Um, you can get 22s without too much issue. Uh, they're very low recoil. They're not super loud, but you still need to wear hearing protection. Yes. Um, they don't. Ha they don't have much recoil. They're very. Uh, the ammunition is very inexpensive. Generally, you can buy 22 caliber ammunition by, they come in 500 round boxes um, mm -hmm. and it's very, very inexpensive. So that's generally the best place for people to start off. Um, finding a place to shoot, especially in a city like San Francisco um, or the Bay Area in general can be a little bit difficult um, or if not difficult, um, is kind of expensive most of the, because of the regulatory red tape most ranges have to go through in California. Uh, generally the fees to shoot are very high and they're very busy ranges. Mm -hmm. But um, again, reaching out to an SRA chapter, they can probably give you information on uh, what are good ranges that are not um, super conservative, super pro-Trump. Yes. You know, always mm -hmm. the ones that are less uh, always full of police um, and other people who might make new shooters, especially from, you know, uh, certain backgrounds uncomfortable. Right. So. Yeah, I appreciate you you mentioning that. I think that's a whole other piece that's kind of missing from the the gun control conversation is that it's ridiculous that cops have and the cops have like so much military grade weaponry and that doesn't seem to enter into the conversation at all when folks call for gun reform. And it's like if the if the cop if the police are going out with these you know ridiculous weapons, it doesn't make any sense that that shouldn't be the first place if we're going to look to not to demilitarize, I guess, the, um, the country. Definitely. And it's, I also like to point out that in California, our police are almost completely exempt from the vast majority of our gun laws here. Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, there's the uh, laws on assault weapons or the laws restricting access to handguns are almost completely waived for police or, or else they're given shortcuts through that system. Um, Ex-cops are allowed to concealed carry, um, even in counties where, like San Francisco or LA County, where you know, it's very difficult to impossible for a private citizen to carry a gun. Um, police officers essentially get the right to carry for life, um, including many members of LAPD and other suspect departments that, you know, where 
some of these police officers may have engaged in very, uh, what should be criminal behavior, honestly. Um, so it's, it's a big issue. Um, I, I think, you know, one of, the, one of the laws here in California is that we have a roster of what handguns you're allowed to buy at retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if it's not on the roster, you can't buy it from a gun store. Um, you, have, you can buy it from a, you know, a pr- private individual through a private transfer, um, but you can't buy it from a gun store or order it from out of state. Police are completely exempt from that, and so police will order handguns from out of state and in some cases then resell those uh, privately at a profit, which is something that the Pasadena Police Department got in trouble for. Um, they ended up selling over five, they ended up buying and reselling over 500 pistols, many of which ended up in the hands of gang members. Uh. So my, my, one of my main planks as far as gun control is, you know, you can, there are all kinds of arguments that we should have more or less gun control, but as far as I'm concerned, police are civilians and should be subject to the exact same firearms restrictions, both on and off duty as mm-hmm. any other civilian. Right. right. In my view. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for that. There's like, there's so much to, yeah, there's so much to learn. So I really appreciate you, you sharing that information. And I'm sure it also just, you know, it changes from like state to state and county to county as well. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so much out there. Yeah. Yeah, so I think those were like mostly, I'm a, I'm a little bit out of order, Not, but though, if, even if we were doing this on Friday, I probably still would be a little bit out of order, to be honest, it's a very <laughs> DIY show, so I'm like, oh, let me wrap up with this, or um, is there anything else you wanted to share? I'm pretty open to um, anything else you wanted to talk about um, with the SRA or anything else um, with organizing? Um I'm not sure. So one of the big things going on in the SRA right now, um, we've gone through a lot of rapid growth and expansion over the past year. Um, There's been a broad trend towards leftists becoming more comfortable with firearms and the growth of what some people call the armed left, Mm -hmm. you know, especially since um, Charlottesville, August 11th and 12th. Um, And so the SRA the last year has just exploded in terms of growth. Um, We recently hit 5,000 members. Wow. Um, uh, at the beginning of the year, we were at 3,000. So uh, because of that, the SRA is actually in the process of restructuring. Uh, mm-hmm. We've uh, had a referendum to approve new bylaws. Um, we previously had sort of a central committee structure. Um, that's being abolished and replaced with the National Assembly and dedicated admin staff. Um, just in terms of scaling as a national organization. And so one of the things that's going on, I'm, I co-founded the organization uh, back in uh, spring of 2018. Um, and, I'm, uh, and I've been the vice president for most of the time since. Uh, in uh, about 10 days as of this recording, I will no longer be the vice president because we're abolishing that position entirely. And so one of the things that we found is been most successful is really organizing when you're organizing at a national scale it's really beneficial i think to have a very you know sort of federated um what's the word um to have a very sort of um chapter focused basis for an organization yeah i really think that one of the 
biggest strengths of the SRA is its chapters and all the like on the ground activism that people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really some of the most valuable uh, work that we're doing. And I'm really glad that we're able to reform our structure to give even more voice and power to local chapters who are actually putting in, you know, actually going out and doing like the mutual aid that I was talking about before. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, yeah, just, yeah. Thank you for, I think putting in the work is like the first thing that comes to mind to um, co-create this, you know, organization. Cause I feel like when I first heard about it, I was like really relieved in a lot of ways. Cause I feel like just, there's so much among the left, like either infighting or lack of agreeing on tactics. And it feels so frustrating and disappointing and sad a lot of the time. Um, you know, knowing how difficult it can be for folks to like find common ground and to also just keep something going, given that there will be disagreements along the way. So I, you know, the more I hear about it, the um, the happier it makes me. And I just feel really grateful <laughs> for organizations like the SRA that are out there. And for a lot of other folks who are looking for other organizations to join and or to learn from and or partner with. Um, that's just, it's good. <laughs> it's like very reassuring. I definitely don't want to give the impression that there's never been any infighting or sectarianism in the SRA because we've had to deal with it. And as the vice president, I've often had to be the face person to deal with these issues. But I will say that for every person who engages in sectarianism or petty infighting, there's 10 or a dozen people who are actually putting in the work and getting along with their comrades both locally and nationally and actually getting out there and doing praxis. And that's what really matters. You know, there's always going to be arguments and petty fights on the left, but I'm, I'm really, really happy to see how much the SRA has accomplished uh, in spite of that and going above and beyond that. And I'm, I'm really proud of uh, what our organization has accomplished. Cool. Well, thanks so much for, yeah, for, for sharing this. And I look forward to hearing more. And there's also a, a podcast, yes? Yes, there is. Uh, I host the um, SRA podcast. You can find us on pretty much every podcast app now, including Spotify and, um, and uh, app, uh, you know, iTunes and all the other, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I try to put out at least one or two per month. Um, yeah, it's it's talking about the organization and related topics, and it's a it's a good listen if you've got the time. Excellent. Well, we many of us have do have time, so <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. Well, thank well, you so much for having me on. Thank you for being on. Um, appreciate it, and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Have a good one. You too. All right. Big thanks to Faye for sharing good info. And cool. Okay. I'm going to play some music. And then we'll be back with a few more news stories. And we'll wrap up the program. I mentioned if you were a regular listener of the show. And thank you. Thank you regardless, no matter who you are, for listening. And I went to the library before it closed and got a few extra records because I had been going on for a while. And one of them that I, I still have is uh, Nico Case's album hell on and i brought that i listened to it again yesterday and oh 
it'll get out. So here's one of my favorite tracks from the album called Halls of Sarah. And we'll be back in a little bit um, after this. And I might play another song from this album. Please do stay tuned. And big thanks to all the folks out there listening. Really appreciate it. Back in a bit. Childless widow of a nation You cry like guns across the water Yet we expect you to bring springtime It isn't fair Searchlights wither in your hair Men build their industries around you, diverting rivers of your hair. They're looking for their own reflection. You're left to die of exposure, Sarah. Sarah with the beaten heart, Sarah with the mouth of stone, Sarah with the. You are silent moon. across the water she didn't ask to be your remake or your muse parasites inside of booze Sarah with the beaten heart Sarah with the mouth of stone I call but there is no one home Sarah with the beaten heart Sarah with the mouth of stone I call but there is only echo
And welcome back. That was DJ Kevin. Apologies there. I'm going to play some more music, rest my voice a little bit, and then we'll be back with a few more news stories to go. Thanks again so much for tuning in to Mutant Radio. I'll do a plug for the station right now. Mutant Radio. We're here on the corner of 21st and Florida. we got shows here every day of the week. Please tune in. Mutant